I'm kind of going to muse a little bit on the triumphal entry today, and there's so much in this Passion Week. It's hard in the church because we've got these kind of couple Sundays, and if you're fortunate, you can squeeze in a Good Friday, and there's, there's so much to cover in, in the narrative. And uh, throughout the week, I'm going to try to keep us up kind of on track through sort of Instagram and email and just give us some things to think about because there's just so much to cover, cover in this part of the story. And uh, different gospel writers took it in a different way. So John, you know, if you read the Gospel of John, he, he kind of got into the triumphal entry about halfway through his book. Like this was the meat of really where he wanted to get to. Established Jesus in a certain way, and so now this is happening. Let's talk about this for a while. You know, Mark's was a little shorter, and Luke kind of has his spin, and Matthew's a little more linear, and, and, and they have their different take on that. So we're going to kind of just kick around a couple of them, mostly on Mark and Luke today. I'll just encourage you, though, flip through the Bible, get to, get to find those Palm Sunday stories in the Bible or this sort of Passion Week in the Bible, and, and it's really fascinating to see that the writers kind of give a different spin on story. We talked about last week, Luke, I uh, loved looking at the Last Supper with Luke. Luke loved talking about mealtimes, right? He was, he was all about the food and getting people around the table and having conversation, and that's how I like to couch these things. And uh, Mark's tends to be a little shorter and faster, I want to read that to you. Uh, today and we're going to try to process a little bit what Jesus was going through in this 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 time and in that we can find out hopefully some things about ourselves as we learn about God but um, but just to get us started I, I was I was out this about a week ago out for a run and I try to run a f- few times a week if I'm uh, if I'm lucky and uh, have my you know wireless headphones and you kind of have a whole system of getting out there to do things like that if any of you are in exercise or do stuff like my shoes and water kind of plan out I got a time slot and uh, I grab my headphones and and I head out the door and, and get a few blocks in the house and I'm putting on some podcasts and music and I hear this voice in my headphones, battery low and I'm like, oh man, battery low! Like thinking like, how much time do I have? So like, should I go back? I'm kind of already a few blocks away. Like I could probably make it. And I start just running a little further away from uh, my house and I hear it again, battery low. I'm like, no. I'm like, is it my phone? Is it the earbuds and and, and sure enough, probably a few moments later, I'm, I'm, I'm running, and I just hear my, in my head, uh, power, battery dead, powering off or whatever. And like, I'm like, oh, no. And I'm like, far from home. And I'm like, do I go all the way back home, get some new earbuds, then go back out on another run? Or do I just like tough it out and run without music? And if any of you run or, or work out or do those kind of things, any kind of even sort of hobby, music is helpful for those hard things, right? It sort of makes it go. If you're cleaning your house or you're just even having a bad day or in a, in a car on a commute, you throw some music on. So if you're running and you don't have the music on, man, it, it's, it's a different experience. And so I was really contemplating, man, I'm out here all the way. Should I go back, start over? I'm probably not going to do that. And I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to live. I'm going to survive just kind of listening to my own breathing in my heart and go on and continue on this run. And it was interesting as I was kind of doing that, just to sort of experience it from before, when you have music and you have your mind off something else, to when I'm now running without it and listening to my own breath and feeling more pain and more wheezing and agony in my lungs going around. You hear every sort of thud and, and your heads feel like it's just kind of moving around and you could feel the sweat going into your eyes. And it becomes actually a fairly painful experience. I don't actually love to run. Some people love to run. It's like, oh, my God, I love going out for a good run. Like, I don't really like running. I do it because I'm getting older and just need to. But it, 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 it hurts. It hurts my body. It's uncomfortable. And without the music, I was just acutely aware everything going on in my knees and my toes. I'm like, oh my gosh, my socks are bunching up and this is sticking to my back. And it's just one of those sort of experiences. I was thinking about it as I was doing like, but I'm I'm wondering, I wonder if this is actually good for me in some ways. Like, all right, I'm I'm aware of what's happening now, right? And for so many of us, sort of a metaphor for life, because it's so easy 
just to put on music and tune things out without really listening to what's going on, listening to our own bodies, listening to our spirit. What does God have to say, right? What, what is the world telling me? What are my friends saying? What's going on? How can I help and be part of something else maybe? When we're just sort of constantly putting things in our ears, we have this noise on the drown things out, and it's almost a sort of form of, of self-medicating. Now, next time I go for a run, believe me, I'm, I'm making sure my headphones are charged. I'm not for that sort of thing, like self-masochism. Like, I'm just not in, into that. But I, I understand this idea of sometimes turning things off allows you to sort of feel a little more pain. And I've I'm, I'm been reading the story of Jesus these last weeks or so of his, of his life, and, and last week again at the, at the table. There's almost this time, as he enters into Jerusalem, as he enters into this cheering, this hosanna, the crowds, this triumphal entry, this, this massive time, it's almost like the music's beginning to sort of be turned off in his, in his sort of life, as he's had this journey with his friends and connecting with people, healing people and crowds, and now it's starting to get a little more serious for the human Jesus who knows what's coming his way. And I think about that in the midst of the shouting and the cheering and internally what Jesus is thinking about. Because he alludes to it at the table we, we looked at last week, and this would happen later on in this week, thinking, oh, man, this is the last time I'm going to do this. And preoccupied with knowing his fate is going to be a very painful and horrible sacrificial death. And no one else knows that. And he sort of bears this internal pain. But let's read Mark. Uh, we'll, read, we'll read Mark's account real quick. We'll just make a couple comments on that. And, and then we'll uh, maybe check out, jump over to Luke for a little bit. But the story goes like this. I shall read Luke for a story goes like this in Luke. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. <clears throat> Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. So they took the colt. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, colt and put Jesus on it, and he went along. People shred out their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, a whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, because they were giving him this messianic tribute. I mean, the, the language was like, this is the guy, this is the king that we've been waiting for. And the Pharisees are like, whoa, these people are out of control. They're calling you the king. Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Real kind of classic cryptic Jesus answer for the Pharisees. Like, uh, so is he going to tell them or not tell them? Like, what's, what's going on? As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. He said, if, you've, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it's now hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and circle you and hem you on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and, the, you and your children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Mark's is a little shorter, but it's kind of the same idea. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, go to the village ahead of you. Just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you what you are doing, say the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back, back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside the street, tied at a doorway as they untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. 
When they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks over, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the 12. So he's coming on from Bethpage and Bethany, and this is a town about two miles from Jerusalem, and uh, quite a few stories happen here. Lazarus is, is there, uh, Simon the leper, Martha and Mary, if you're familiar with these stories, this is where their home is. Jesus spends a lot of time in this home, and actually throughout the whole Holy Week, it's a back and forth. So he gets into Jerusalem. Uh, we see him spending some time there during, during the days, doing different acts and uh, you know, yelling at Pharisees and doing things in the temple. Then at the evening, he goes back to these homes. That's just sort of what the Holy Week looked like for Jesus. He was in and out of the city until his arrest. So in this entry, he's, he's coming in. And the people are excited because they really believe this is the king that they've been waiting for in the sense of this is going to get us out of the clutches of the Roman Empire. And we've talked about that, and this is central to the, to the gospel narrative as people are looking at Jesus. Like, this is the guy, Hosanna, Hosanna, this is the king. They're, they're quoting Old Testament uh, psalms and, and prophets. Like, this is the guy we're waiting for. They've got their cloaks because it was a, uh, a, a kingly kind of thing to do is cover the ground. They've got these palms that were part of these festivals of worship. And, and attribute, and, and they're just lifting up Jesus, lifting up Jesus. And so there's these crowds ahead of him, there's crowds behind him. And you could kind of just imagine a little bit of this scene of these people just coming out of, or like, this is happening. They don't really know, even know what's happening, but people are just coming out like, this is it. This is it. You can imagine people going through the room, what's the rumor mill? Like, he's here, the king's here, the king's here. Like, where's the king? Where's the king? And they just get in this crowd, this crowd's moving uh, from the eastern side of Jerusalem eastern gate of Jerusalem with, with Jesus, just cheering and freaking out, Hosanna in the highest, this is the king. And think about Jesus in that moment. He's riding an animal of peace. He's got a colt and a donkey. He's just sort of this uh, very humble um, person with this massive parade that's sort of come up around him. People are expecting something from him that he knows he's not going to do. He knows he has a different thing he's going to do. He has all these people saying he's, he's so amazing and this is our king. And on the inside, he's thinking, man, I'm, I'm going to be nailed to a cross at the end of the week. This is going to hurt really bad. And in Luke, he references this sort of agony starts to come out as he approaches the city, looks at the city, and he just starts to cry. He just starts to cry. And he said, I wish you could have known. So he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it. If you, even you had only known this day, that I would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. He's saying, man, I wish they could have known. And this is the humanity of Jesus. It's so beautiful and so important in this story. Because if we miss these things, he's not who he said he was. God didn't send this, this, this hum, human to teach us how to be human. And he's just bearing this in internal agony. And I think for you and I, as we try to relate to Jesus, there's some different places we can be. Because there's a crowd way out ahead of Jesus shouting and cheering in chaos, and there's people behind Jesus shouting and cheering in chaos, and there's these crowds, and they're, and they're projecting these assumptions on Jesus, but they don't really know. And the people who will know will be the people that are close to him, his disciples who are listening, spending time, and trying to process this. And Jesus is internally just carrying this sort of anguish as his hopes being sort of projected on him. And I think for you and I, we've, we've probably found ourselves in some of those places, where I'm just going to be letting people down. Like, I, I can't do this. And you're thinking about, man, this is really going to hurt. I know a lot of people have faith in me, but this is, this is going to be really hard. 
And he prays, man, you're so great, you're so great. On the inside, he's, he's thinking about, oh, God, is there any way you can take this cup from me? Is there any way you can get me out of this? But he goes on and gets to the table and he walks through Jerusalem and he's processing this out. And I think for you and I, as we, as we engage God, this God that we believe in or are coming to believe in or trying to understand, it's amazing to know that Jesus walked through this, this part of the story. A story where he's just bearing all this weight and he's thinking no one understands. But how many of us ever thought that to yourself? Almost maybe in a moment of sort of self-pity or just despair, like no one understands. No one understands what's going on in the inside of me. No one understands how hard it is. No one understands how bad this hurts. Man, Jesus walked through that. He walked through the projections of being this great king and his hope, and no, that's not my mission. He rode this donkey with people cheering, thinking, man, this is going to be bad. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. And he looks out at Jerusalem, and he just begins, he begins to weep. It's bottled up with emotion. Like at Mark, when Mark gets him into Jerusalem, uh, they have kind of different ways to sort of wrap up this account. Mark says, Jesus entered Jerusalem. He went into the temple courts. He looked, down, he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went on to Bethany with the twelve. As long as this moment in Mark, none of the other writers grab this. They kind of move on to, to different aspects of the story. But when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, as he enters the temple and he looked around at everything. So he looked around at everything. And he takes this moment of pause. He takes this moment of pause in the temple. And he's looking at what's central to the people, the way they're treating God, the way they're, they're running society and religion and culture. He just looks at everything. And you have to believe that grieved him. And those are the things he carried with him throughout the week. He took a moment, he looked around at everything. And then he went back out to the table, uh, back out to the table in Beth, in Beth Page. And I think for you and I, as he kind of gets out of this triumphal, chaotic entry of just noise and people cheering and, and goals and ob- objectives and people's vision and mission. And he gets there and he just takes a moment. He just looked around at everything. He just sort of takes inventory of what is. And I have to believe in that moment that, that hopefully it was some sense of reminder, like this is it. This is why I'm here, because this temple system is broken and people are hurting. He takes inventory. And I just love that little line, he looked around at everything. Man, I, th- I think there's a lesson there for us as we just kind of move through this sort of chaos, sometimes of the parade of life and the noise, sometimes the fun, sometimes the heartbreak. Take a moment and just look around at everything. Look around at everything. Jesus had a, a busy week ahead of him. He was going to do some really incredible things for the world. He took a moment. He looked around at everything. He looked around at everything. He was absorbed. He absorbed what he was about to do. Matthew, in Matthew's account, he goes from the triumphal entry. And the next, sto- next part of the story we'd see is Jesus is going to go flip tables at the temple. That's Matthew gets right into that. Matthew's a tax collector guy. That's kind of how he writes. He gets right into it. John gives that account. He goes and flips over tables. Mark clues. No, he didn't actually get there right away. He took a moment. He took a moment to soak it in. And for us in this sort of Passion Week, this Holy Week, this, this time we're trying to reflect on, on, on Jesus and, and what he, he is and who he is and what he means to us, just to take a moment and look at everything. Look at the story. Look at your own story. Look at your own heart. Look at your own loss, things that are broken, things that are going well. Take that kind of inventory. Sort of last picture is when I throw out there for you guys. I think this is pretty cool. I was reading this week. Um, we're talking about Jesus coming into to Jerusalem. 
And he's coming in from down this hill. I didn't have a map today, but he's he's got this, you know, parade of people coming in this eastern gate, eastern side of Jerusalem, and there's this gate, and he gets nearby to the Maiden Temple. On the western side of Jerusalem at this time of year, because it was a holy week for them, um, there was this massive pilgrimage in Jerusalem. So tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Jewish people would come and uh, participate in these festivals in Jerusalem. The city is just overwhelmed with people. And because of that, the Roman uh, government, Roman Empire, had to do certain things to sort of care for the city in that time to keep it from getting out of hand. So Jesus is coming in uh, on his side with his procession riding a donkey, and he's cheered by his followers. At the same time, likely on the west side of the city, uh, a Roman imperial procession of troops and cavalry would have been entering in, uh, headed by Pilate, as they release a garrison of Roman troops to sort of get around the city and try to keep order during this time. And if this was a film, you could almost just picture this contrast of Jesus coming in on his donkey slowly cruising through, looking at the city and weeping. And on the other side of the city, there's this, these Roman garrisons are being released, and they're coming into the city with might and strength and with power. And they're thinking, if we can just be powerful enough, we will have peace. And Jesus is saying, if I could just be sacrificial enough, I'll be able to provide peace. Man, it's a cool picture of, of a sort of king coming down this road, this contrast of imperial entry versus Jesus' entry. And I have to imagine Jesus sort of prearranges in some way and uh, as he comes in and, and to bring this sort of free way of life that he's carrying that doesn't have to be motivated by power and empire and this sort of new way of living. And he gets to the city and as we said, he's, he's weeping, and he's thinking about his week, and he's just looking around, and he feels like he just takes this moment. Um, and amidst of all the stuff going on for Jesus at this time, there's no one else in the world beside his father that really understands. No one else understands. And that stuff will bring you close to the person who does understand. I love that story of God. I believe Jesus would walk through these things to share that with us. For those of us who feel alone, that nobody understands, it's okay, I understand. I get it. I was super alone. I was super alone. There was no one I could talk to. People were excited for me. They didn't know I was going to let them down. They didn't know what it was going to feel like. They didn't know what the hurt was going to be like. They didn't know it was going to be that bad. And you walk through it anyway. And the hope, the glory, the fun of Jesus' procession internally for him was one of yeah, deep anguish, weeping for people, processing his own situation. And so I some way of encouragement for you to this, this afternoon, for any of us who've drifted in those places that no one gets me, no one understands, I, I, I beg to differ because somebody does, I think that's part of the story. I think that's part of the story. These little glimpses of Jesus, it's not often, every now and then you see him, you see him kind of break down. Jesus wept. Jesus pleaded with his father, would you take this cup from me? Jesus commented at the table, man, this is a bummer. This is the last time I'm going to be with you guys. As he looked around, Jesus understood, and the humanity of Jesus is as beautiful as is, is his divinity. So let me pray for you. We're going to close out with a song. I know I'll come back down. This week, we'll just try to keep up together. If you're connected with us, I'd love for you to follow along to kind of process this, this Jesus, this king, this, this savior, this 
really kind of cool, creative, nonviolent activist that's coming into Jerusalem in a crazy time that bring peace through sacrifice. So God, we thank you for the story. We just thank you for the honesty of story. Um, God, I thank you that when we think of our king, it's a king who weeps for us. It's a king who experiences the agony of, of, of pain and of being lonely. And Lord, in the midst of all the highlight reels of your story and the gospel, Lord, there's these moments where it's just, it just gets real. God, so in our lives, it's so easy to project this other reality, to put on sort of our cloaks and defenses, God. So if someone's doing that right now, Lord, I just pray you would release some of that. They don't have to do that with you. You invite brokenness. You welcome brokenness. You support brokenness. And Lord, we thank you for the healing that could come through relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen.